0: I'm more excited to be talking to you about task management. You are going to love it. We have to accept that tech is coming into the world and we have to prepare our our pupils for the real world.
1: This method is really a game-changing way of invigilating,
0: to be honest. Welcome to the Surpass Community Podcast.
2: Hello and welcome to this special Surpass Community Podcast where we are using the audio from a webinar that was originally presented in December of 2020 We had a couple of guests from ICAS, the uh, Institute of Chartered Accountants of Scotland, and CPA Canada, the Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. And also a couple of demonstrations of uh, content question types from ICAEW, who were kind enough to provide us with a demonstration question, and uh, some input from Saika, the South African Institute of Chartered Accountants, who unfortunately couldn't join us as planned on the webinar itself, but were talking to us beforehand to, to give us some insights, which was then shared by members of this past team. Now, I won't talk too much today because the content is in the webinar itself, and uh, certainly much more informative and interesting than anything I could come up with at this point. There are a couple of demonstrations as part of the webinar. I will just say. Um, I'll be interjecting the podcast to explain when those are happening, however if you want to see them for yourself, the webinar is available to watch on demand at surpass.com forward slash webinars and certainly in the case of the TBS uh, task-based simulation question type, that was given by Adam, one of our team members here on the surpass team and that video is also available separately as well as being part of the webinar itself. So if you want to see the the item types in action and actually see the type of content that these organizations have produced to deliver exams then please do go and watch the webinar or get in touch with your account manager or a member of this past team if you're not already a member of this past community we're always happy to hear from you anyway without further ado i'll now hand over to our special guests and jim crawford who introduced the webinar
3: Uh, So today's session is mostly about the different approaches and technology used for um, assessing uh, financial exams. So we're going to cover a few different things. We've got Loft, linear on the fly testing. We've got how to manage uh, large single-day testing events, both in a lockdown and not in a lockdown. And then finally, we have um, a demonstration of some of the new and exciting advanced question types that are now available in Surpass. So I'm very pleased to say that I am joined uh, today, hopefully. There we go uh, by uh, Iwana Khrilianu, who is the Senior Assessment and Quality Specialist at the Institute of Chartered Accountants of Scotland, ICAS. How did I do in the pronunciation?
0: <laughs> <This is great. laughs>
3: yeah, good, good, good. Uh, also, Robbie Burns, uh, Assessment and Quality Lead also at ICAS. Hi, Robbie. Hi. Uh, Uh, and Andy Thomas, Director of PEP Examinations at CPA Canada. Uh, Now, unfortunately, uh, you may have been expecting uh, Janine Classen's also from the South African um, Institute of Chartered Accountants, but unfortunately, um, two members of Janine's team have um, tested positive for COVID uh, and that's made uh, what's already quite a busy uh, period for them, even busier. Uh, And so we send her apologies and we wish her colleagues a safe and swift recovery so let's get started okay first question is to you Andy Uh, if we could just set the scene um, tell us a little bit about how CPA Canada uh, deliver exams in terms of the locations how many um, candidates you deliver to how many sessions you have throughout the year
4: sure Um, well (laughs) I'll tell you a little bit about how we delivered exams up until March um, and then we'll uh, we'll go into what we do now but the um, so we have um, we have three different pro- well two different programs we run. We have the uh, preparatory program, which is kind of a university-based um, uh, program. There are fourteen different modules, so we run fourteen different uh, a, a exam end of module exams uh, five times a year. There we run what we call the professional education program which is our graduate level um, program for, for uh, accountancy. And then we have what we call the common final examination, which is a final three day comprehensive examination that um, leads to is the final step before you become a, a CPA in, in, in Canada. So traditionally we've, we've run um, examinations in exam halls. Um, so, uh, you know, at, at the extreme, we have um, 10,000 students across the country writing an exam. Uh, at any one time um and that's for our final examination and in, in terms of an exam hall uh, our biggest exam hall is about 1200 students so in toronto area um we have um we rent out a convention center and we we have um typically had 1200 students running uh writing the, an exam at the same time in the same venue obviously that's not going to happen <laughs> in the current environment um so I, if you want to hear about that i'm happy to chat about that uh, well
3: i, I do uh, but I, I will come on to that um so before we started this webinar we had a pre-chat and uh, andy revealed how cpa canada had um managed to continue delivering large single day sessions during the lockdown or the pandemic uh, and it's very very interesting but we'll, we'll move on to that in a second how do you even go about verifying or uh, authenticating, you know, 1,000, is it 200, 1,300 candidates at a single venue all arriving in the same place? Can you talk a little bit about that, the logistical management of
4: it? About about physically how they uh, how they arrive? Well, quite frankly, the, the students are asked to arrive an hour before the exam. So it takes us quite a while to get them through the process to verify, you know, their IDs, get them to their seats. Um, and, and, you know, we, when I'm talking 1,200, we also have venues that have five people. So so it's quite a quite a variation, as you know, Canada is a very large country geographically, so it varies considerably across the country. But in that one very large exam hall in, in Toronto, yeah, the, the students are asked to come early. There are a number of um, people there to verify their identifications, get them seated, make sure they're ready to go. Um, they're asked to do a pre-check on their computer. So all the computers are there um, and they're asked to do a pre-check. And if there's any issues, they, they deal with them as much as they can before that, um, within that hour um, of pre, uh, pre, pre-setup, I guess. Right. Okay. Okay. So it's not just 1,200 or so cameras, it's 1,200 devices. It's making sure you've got
3: internet for that. It's making sure you've got all the staff on site to manage and make sure everyone goes through that process. Yeah. Out of all of that complexity, what would you say the biggest challenges are
4: um, for you typically on any given exam day? On any given exam day, what's uh, I, I, Well, it's, it's usually, occasionally it can be the internet. So, so if, if the internet's um, not functioning, for example, in, in a location, it, we our, our backup, uh, call it a disaster plan, whatever you want to call it. Kicks in, which we do have a disaster plan for that. Which basically means we need to bring out um, uh, devices that are uh, capable of um, accessing the internet in a different way. Um, and but that that obviously leads us to slowdowns and to um, uh, some frustrations sometimes on the on the behalf of students. So that that that's probably our biggest worry, I would think. So once we get the students up and running and in the exam, it's it's usually uh, it's usually not an issue at all.
3: Okay. All right. That's interesting. So to get a different perspective, Robbie and uh, Iwana, you guys obviously don't have to cater for such large numbers of candidates in a single venue. You certainly have a large number of candidates. Um, could you um, talk a little bit about how you've got, you've approached it differently. You have different challenges. So you've, my understanding is you guys use a loft or linear on the fly testing. So how do you, uh, how do you go about, what's your typical approach to uh,
0: assessing candidates? And um, Yeah, I, I would <laughs> is a is a little bit different from andys we, we we don't have um the, the mass the single mass events uh, we run um exams for about three and a half to, to four thousand candidates each year um every candidate uh, has to sit uh, 13 individual exams with us as they go through their process uh, and about 25 different mocks. um so we deal with our rollout on a much um a much more um, immediate scale where we, we've got many more frequent events uh, and for smaller numbers of candidates. Um, so we, we've, we've opted much more for a, we've got very regular exams, running at very regular intervals, uh, and we manage them that way, and indeed we'll come on and talk a little bit more about how we do that uh, at our entry level uh, a little bit later on. Um,
3: well, yeah, I mean, that maybe maybe now if that's okay, I, I was quite interested in exploring, because I think to make sure that you're not, um, you know candidates who are taking an exam this week are able to um, speak to candidates who took the exam last week and benefit in any way you've got a a, a dynamic test form or what we would call linear on the fly testing where you're randomizing the content or the test forms that are delivered to each individual candidate um so is are you able to talk a little bit about that how many items you have or maybe you can't go into that detail how often you're
0: having to refresh your yes, items? absolutely um, so, so yeah, our entry level, and we do only do this for, for, for our first level of exams, uh, we, we offer on-demand testing effectively. So in the course of a year, um, and Iwana will, will testify, this is why I've got so many grey hairs, uh, we probably run uh, exams about 45 or 46 weeks for, of the year uh, for our entry level exams. Uh, and obviously when we are running exams with that kind of frequency, Uh, it's it's imperative that that, that we do our best to maintain the the integrity of the exam database. So we we do indeed run exams with with, with randomization. Uh, We have a a single question bank, um, which is randomized uh, for for use during the course of the exams. Um, What what will happen is we we work very closely with our academic partners, uh, and we build a, a question bank which is like all question banks, it's split into to learning outcomes, to syllabus learning outcomes, uh, and we populate that, 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 um, all those questions into a question bank. Um, we then are able to to draw randomised testing from each of those, um, for each of those subjects, based on an algorithm that, that is pre- pre-populated and pre-agreed with our academics uh, to ensure that, that candidates don't all get the same questions. Uh, they don't all get them in the same order, uh, and even if, if we have 40, 50, 60, 300 candidates uh, all sitting the exam on the same day from the same bank, uh, they will all get different questions and they'll be presented in a different order. Right. Um, mm-hmm that's great so you've got this you've got a kind of a
3: test blueprint that says you need x amount of items from this learning outcome why am i amount of items from that learning outcome and then at the point at which it's delivered to a candidate it's pulling the items out of surpass um, so you're getting the the, the right curriculum balance uh, and you're ensuring it's kind of got the the right uh, difficulty equivalents across all the different test forms okay uh, so i'm quite interested to get andy's perspective on this because I feel like there's huge complex complexity and logistical challenges in managing these single-day uh, testing events. Have CPA Canada ever considered moving to more of a continuous testing, or is there reasons why that just won't work for you guys?
4: Uh, no, it's it's absolutely within our um, within our uh, blueprint, shall I say, moving forward to get to. It. So I'm very interested in, in to hear what uh, what Robbie has to say. Um, and and uh, so so our, lo- our lower level exams are, are quite a bit of MCQ um, type uh, questions, and we think moving those to an on-demand style is, is definitely uh, something we're looking into and, and would help our students uh, uh, considerably um, in terms of convenience. So, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking to, to move in that direction.
0: We've actually undertaken a, a fairly extensive syllabus change for our most recent uh, exam, for, 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 the, for the, the current year, uh, for a rental level exams, and that has demanded a, a significant level of new questions, uh, which is always very popular with, with the academics among us but when, when we have to go and, and write a whole batch of new questions. So where there's not such dramatic change, but obviously ta- tax rates will change and, and there'll, there'll be various things that are in the edges where where you can update the, the questions that exist in the bank. Uh, and every year that there, there's obviously a, a big enough exercise to sit and review all the questions uh, that have got those variables in them and to update them. Uh, we do use the tagging function within within Surpass to allow us to identify those particular questions as we go. Uh, so every year we can use that tagging function and we can pick up which questions are going to have to be be adjusted or, or amended um, and say so that that's done in that that gap every year where, where we don't have any exam running. Um, but we also have a programme every year of... of, of Removing questions from, from the database uh, question bank, whether that's because that they're, they're no longer valid, that they're out of date, or they've, they've not been performed, be performed. Uh, we carry out quite an extensive analysis of all our questions at the end of every year, and we okay. go back and we, we we replace them and write new questions where they're required. Okay.
4: So so we started probably oh, a year and a half, two years ago um, with uh, automatic item generation and we had a um, uh, which so, so we started the MCQ items. I should uh, clarify that immediately. We were thinking about doing some different item types, but right now it's it's strictly related to MCQs. So what we do is we use um, a very simple tool, um, Mail Merge, um, which is just a word a resource and, and we create. Um, so we, so we, we started with very successful MCQ items, which we call parent items. Um, and we use those successful parent items, which we can tell they're successful by the statistics in the back end. And we, we asked our authors, we brought all our authors together and we asked them to create new items based on the, the, um, the successful parent item. And, and when, when people talk about automatic item generation, they talk about generating thousands of items from one item. That, 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 that for us is useless. So what, we, what we've been doing is we've been creating 10, maybe 15 items from a good parent item. And so we call those siblings but that's another story um and and so we, we take our parent item we ask our authors to change various um factors within it some aesthetic and some are are critical to the analysis and and they create those basically within an excel file and then they automatically get uploaded essentially into our our word document which which generates 10 or 15 items so just to give you uh, an idea of um how successful we've been on that. Um, we, we held a workshop about, well, it was a uh, work, workshop that was face-to-face so over about a year ago now where we got 12 authors together and over the course of a weekend we created 1,200 different MCQ items um, using the AIG um, technologies that, that we had available. So the first thing we did was we taught all the authors how to do this and then we asked them to go away and do them and much to our delight we had no authors that were not able to do it. We thought we might have some authors that just couldn't do this, but um, it, it was no problem whatsoever. So, sure, the, the automatic item generation is part of it, but more important is the authors and how they, they are generating the items um, in the background. So it's
2: really a mix of technology and and humans that success okay. in our end. So at this point in the webinar, we were treated to some demonstrations of content as it is used in exams uh, by ICAS, and they gave an explanation over the top of the video of how they use it. I'll try and summarize that shortly in a second. We then followed it up with some content kindly provided to us by ICAEW that takes a a slightly different approach to the simulation and, and how it is marked. So with the ICAST content, the demo shows some of the basic surpass functionality that a candidate can use, such as um, selectable features for background colours, text colours, how to use through, that kind of thing. Uh, but ICAST went on to explain how they actually created template views with the spreadsheet style simulation and the system is designed to automatically calculate answers. So it's all computer-based marking on that one based on the templates that they've set up. Um, Apparently it's cumulative automatic marking for people that want to know. So that was quite interesting one way of doing it. The ICAEW demonstration uh, was a slightly different variant on the, the simulation. So some might say it was a slightly more complex question as it required human marking. And what they were doing in their demonstration is they were actually showing how uh, something like source material, so uh, for example, a PDF was used in this question, over a thousand pages. But we were showing how the um, the PDF can be viewed live in the test driver and docked to the side of the exam. So on a screen, a candidate will have clear visibility of all of the information they need in that source material, as well as the the spreadsheet simulation within the the test as it is and they can use the two side by side so two very different approaches um to a secure lockdown exam uh, but both very useful ways of being able to test the accountant's knowledge of the the role they might perform in their career in the real world rather than just um you know having them sit there and figure out how to use a computer for 10 minutes so anyway uh Again, if you want to watch that for yourself, surpass.com forward slash webinars, you can see the demonstration with the explanations um, from ICAS and from our team here at Spass. But for now, I'll hand you back over to the podcast where we'll hear from Andy from CPA Canada, and he's going to talk a little bit about how they use the simulations in their exams.
4: The the, the typical way our our, uh, students would use the Word and Excel look-alike tools, um, if you like, um, is is they would use them to answer the questions. And so particularly, so the Word part is is relatively straightforward, and that's rarely an issue. The Excel part is um, a little bit more complicated. And we actually, um, so students are allowed to answer on the Excel spreadsheets, and that's what they submit. But in addition to that, we also allow them, um, we give them tabs with information preloaded. So we we would give them financial statements that are preloaded on one of these tabs, for example, that they can use to copy and paste over to their answer tab. So they're allowed to answer in one tab and they may have other multiple tabs with preloaded information. And the reason why we do that is we don't want them copying um, stuff uh, or or rewriting it within the Excel tab itself. So if they can copy and paste, it just helps them with their efficiency um, when they're writing the exam. The more we can control the student's environment so that they can't go anywhere else, um, the, the better the integrity of the exam. So that's a, yeah, that, that's really important to us as well. Okay, great. Um, so, okay, I got a general question for all of you because we deal with, at uh, BTL,
3: we deal with quite a lot of different um, subject areas from healthcare assessments to vocational to general qualifications. I have to say finance does seem to be one of the areas that embraces this kind of real world performance based assessment or using using questions or question types but closer reflect what the uh, professional accountants may be using once they're qualified why why do you think that is i'll start with uh, robbie if that's okay why do you think that financial uh, sector just embraces these more innovative question types or approaches to assessment okay.
0: I think from our perspective, we do work very closely with, with the firms who, who provide our, our students, our candidates to us. And the, the, there has been, for the past maybe five or six years, a, a desire by those firms to move away from the, the, the kind of traditional sit down with, with a pen and paper and, uh, and write some some text approach. And they've been very keen to try to embrace um, exam questions and exam situations that, that more accurately reflect um, really how, how a candidate, how a student would, would work in the real world today. Um, so we, we've actually been very, very fortunate that, that when we've, we've been keen to, to make those kind of changes, we have had the support, very much have had the support of, of, our, of our clients um, because they are aware that, that, that the role of the, the accountant in our case is changing. Um, weekly monthly daily actually and and the more we can do to assess within that kind of space uh, the the better understanding that they have of how well equipped a candidate is going to be in that environment so so we've been very fortunate on that front i
3: did have a plan here uh, roughly at this stage of the webinar we were going to look at some future content in Surpass. but before we do that because prior to the webinar, we had a discussion about how CPA Canada were, were managing their single day testing sessions uh, during a pandemic or a national lockdown. And uh, I was pretty surprised by the story. Can I please uh, give the floor
4: to you, Andy, to explain how you managed to continue doing single day testing events at volume uh, during the pandemic? Sure, so so um, I'll preface it by saying that we, we run all kinds of um, exams, lower risk to, um, to our ultimate, to our final um, accreditation exam. So, What I'm going to talk about is is just our final accreditation exam, which um, we um, we write once or twice a year or or, uh, and and is is a high volume exam. So about 10,000 students um, back in September of this year during COVID wrote the exam uh, across the country. We made the determination uh, several months prior to that that we were not comfortable going to a remote proctoring environment. One because we we don't use remote proctoring, and so it would be a big risk for us to go um, to on this exam to go there right away. And and we were not um, satisfied about the, uh, the the different logistical things like internet connections, uh, integrity, and whatnot. Having said that, so the um, what what we decided um, was that we would. Instead of using exam halls across the country to deliver the exam to 10,000 students, we would rent individual hotel rooms for all 10,000 students across the country. Um, and so that that's essentially what we did. And so back in September, we rented, uh, as I said, 10,000 hotel rooms, roughly 200 hotels across the country in various exam locations. Um, and. Really, the students loved it. Um, so there were, it, it was—it went off without a hitch. The students each got their hotel room. They wrote in their own exams. We rented them all computers. We set them up for them. So we controlled the whole situation, and that was really important to us. And so, from a student standpoint, they loved it. It's a three-day exam, so the students would write a day, go home, write it, and come back the next day and write in the very same hotel room. Go home and then and then come back for day three. And so that that from the students' point of view worked really well. At the back end administratively, it was a heck of a lot of work. So so logistically, um, setting up 10,000 hotel rooms, and we also used live proctors within the hotel. So we had 2,000 proctors. Um, as well, um, which walked up and down the hallways. Uh, so the students would have to leave their, their door open to their hotel room as they wrote the exam and the live practice would walk up and down the hallway to make sure everything was cool. So it um, went really well. Uh, we're running it again for our next set of exams, which is in May of this year. Uh, and uh, But uh, that, that's that's what we ended up doing for the large scale um, in-person, in-person exam.
2: So at this point in the webinar we had a comprehensive demonstration from one of our past team members adam uh, showing the new tbs task-based simulation question type that has been introduced to the platform so uh, tbs is a very complex question type i'll try and do a quick summary here just for the for the sake of all of you listening to the podcast um, the video will be available separately as well. So if you can't watch the full webinar, you can contact your account manager or your contact. If you're not already a member of the surpass community, use the contact form on the uh, thispass.com website. We're always happy to talk to people. So in the demonstration, Adam shows us that the TBS is a very simple tool for your subject matter experts to use. They can dive straight in because of the the UX design that has gone into this as a question type, um, but it's also a very powerful tool for creating these simulations. So it's based mainly around a drag and drop style uh, with widgets, and within those widgets you have a rich text editor, and you have a grid system which is essentially the same as a spreadsheet if you like, and has a lot of the formatting options that are present in typical spreadsheets so you're able to for example merge your cells you're able to change the input type to text type currency type that kind of thing change your alignment Um, and the cells can also be designated as stimulus for the exam so part of the exam question or as candidate entry so something that the candidate then goes into as part of the test and fills in so it really is a fantastic tool for your smes to just dive straight in very usable very friendly easy to get your head around and that's enough from me on the subject i think I, c- I can't really do it justice in in this short time on the podcast so if you want to see that demonstration just get in touch with us or watch the the webinar and that should appear at around about the 30 minute mark
3: uh andy could i start with you you've got some um you've already got ideas of how you're going to use this question type and where you see its purpose being um
4: within sleep great canada's exams could you expand on that um, so in ta- task-based simulations, which is what we call them, we we, um, um, we we didn't create task-based simulations. The AICPA in the states has been using these things for years. So we're um, we're kind of um, we've been talking to them, and we've we've used their uh, base task-based simulations, and we've kind of uh, you know interpreted it for, for our different scenarios. But we use task-based sim- or our plan is to use task-based simulations up and down our exams. So right from our lowest level exam, our entry level exams. Um, to replace some MCQ items. Um, and we'll also use them to replace some cases on our, our, our higher level exams. And it, for, for me, I see five different, um, I see five different advantages to using task based simulations. Uh, the, the, the first one is marking consistency. So, so compared to cases, which we need to give, bring humans in to mark, or constructive response items. Um, at this point we need to bring humans into mark. Um, the consistency of marking is obviously since the computer is doing everything is much more uh, is much improved. Uh, second thing is the real life uh, simulations. So we believe task-based simulations are, are quite um, are quite good at, at simulating real life, certainly compared to mcqs. Um, they they can they can create a, a scenario and then we can ask different questions based on that scenario. and and it really, um when you get down to it, the look and the feel is is quite um, quite real life. third, um we we think we can take we can get to higher order skills with our task-based simulations. so especially compared to mcqs, which typically, are, are, are certainly test some application and some analysis in the better MCQs, but are a lot of um, uh, remembering as well skills. So if you think of tax, uh, um, Bloom's taxonomy, we think test-based simulations get to those higher level skills, application analysis, and even evaluation um, to some degree uh, better, certainly better than MCQs and, and perhaps are, you know, they, they might sit in between MCQs and cases. Um, and we use all those different item types. The um the costs, um certainly the cost to create these TBSs, these task-based simulations, are are higher than they would be for MCQs or for cases. But the behind the scenes, we don't need to pay humans to mark them. So we think in the end it's actually going to cost us less to deliver these task-based simulations than it would to deliver other item types. And, and the last thing I'll say, and this is um comes from because I, I love data, is um Uh, from task-based simulations and the measurement opportunities, you're really getting statistics that look a lot like MCQs. Okay, so so you're you're getting that binary um, type of analysis and and you can get your your by serials, you can get your difficulties. All those different statistics um, are much more possible with task-based simulations and those are difficult for us to get with our um, case-based questions. So that's kind of the five advantages I see to uh, task-based simulations.
3: That's really interesting, thank you. I mean, I had certainly heard of some of those, but I hadn't considered that you had, which is obviously a a much bigger thing, I think, um, particularly in North America, is being able to psychometrically validate um, that an item is behaving exactly how you want it to. And that's very easy to do a multiple choice. It's one of the reasons uh, MCQs are such a popular format. Um, but I didn't realize that linking the measurement opportunities to the individual uh, mm-hmm. tags gave you a very similar or
4: gave you certainly um, a higher degree of, sort of uh, analysis. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure it does. And I think that's one of the beauties behind the scenes. So, so we'll be able to tell what are good measurement opportunities and what are bad measurement opportunities and, and adjust the, t- the test-based simulations as, as we move forward.
3: Right. OK. So, Andy, you have d- you described kind of you've got Bloom's taxonomy and you've got case questions at the, the higher end and you've perhaps got multiple choice doing the lower level stuff. And it perhaps this can do some of the case stuff, but it perhaps sits somewhere in between uh, on the taxonomy and caters for that, that scenario. Okay, well, I'll tell you what, is, is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to uh, the task-based simulator at this point? Because otherwise I know that we are getting quite a few questions in. And I'd be happy to refer to uh, the uncharted waters of uh, audience questions. Yeah, no, I, I'm just happy to field any questions for sure. So we can go there. Okay. Um, so let's have a look. So we had some questions that came up prior to the event. We had some people, when they joined up, uh, submit uh, questions. So we'll go to there first. I know we've had a couple of questions as well. So. Um, this is an interesting one. It's a very. We're going to start with a very challenging one, Andy, so I hope you're prepared. Uh, how do we use technology to move beyond the limitations of objective testing to simulate tasks undertaken in the workplace to demonstrate that passing candidates are business ready? Well, I, I think to some degree that TBS is a step in that direction. But um, Andy, do you have any additional thoughts on that? You can see the question on screen, hopefully.
4: Well, I, I think they may have answered their own question. I do think technology certainly moving forward will, will allow us to test um, a more more in real life situations. So if you think about it, if you think of the auditing firms out there and the technologies that they're employing um, it, within the workplace uh, to um, to allow their students to, to um, complete their jobs more efficiently and more effectively, I think if we can bring some of that technology back into the um, back into the education and examination world, then I, I do think we'll be able to simulate the workplace, you know, e- even better in the future. And I see that happening, especially with all the web-based applications that are that are um, happening out there right now, so.
3: Absolutely, yeah, I, th- I think, um, I mean, we've we've built lots, of, going back in BTL's history, 10, 15 years, we've been, we've always, specialised to a degree in building kind of what we used to call advanced question types, which are more commonly referred to as simulations. And, you know, everything that goes from um, assessing more advanced physics or math skills through to accountancy uh, based simulations. And uh, one of the things which we have decided to do recently um, so that we can make this a more sustainable practice going forward is we've built a a custom question-type framework, um, which basically, so you'll know, surpass, Andy. You've got all your standard questions you can select from. You can select your multiple choice or your case questions, essay, et cetera. There's now going to be a kind of uh, a black box, an advanced question-type framework where any company, whether it's BTL or a third-party development company or a certification board like yourselves, can build a simulation that just plugs directly into the authoring environment. And that means it can be maintained and developed externally uh, of, of BTL. And so it can be enhanced as technology changes, as the certification board require more functionality or changes to be made. And it's something that can be very kind of agile and constantly evolving. So we're really excited about that. That's going to be available uh, early next year. And hopefully uh, we're already seeing quite a lot of interest from organizations wanting to build simulation-based question types uh, on top of that. So we'll move on to another question type here. Um, Sorry, another question type, another question. Um, What lessons have you learned from these projects that can be applied more widely to enable uh, online exam success across different exam sectors? Um, That's a very broad question, but I suppose Iwana, did you catch that that question? Can you see it on your screen now? But if you want to talk about, um, so I suppose the project from your perspective is you've been using Loft and if you want to talk about your remote proctoring, I know you delivered 1,300 remote proctored just to pass last week on a single day. Um, perhaps you want to talk about what you've learned from that process.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, um, I think this year everyone's just had to um, find new ways to do what, we used to do previous or what we used to take for granted basically. Um, So what we found since we've started using uh, remote proctoring is that, um, you know, our students are quite quick at adapting as long as they're given the the right information. And um, also, as long as the kind of the, their own organizations that they work for are willing to um, work with us to make sure that we can deliver the um, exams for their students. Um, but basically, um, I think the number one takeaway has been that um, we live in a world where we've got to adapt at the moment, and we are quite lucky that we've got um, you know, the, the technology now to be able to deliver exams in in... Um, these circumstances. Um, And as far as the um, exam um, last week uh, went, um, it was, I I have to say, um, I was um, quite nervous just because I always get like that during, before exams, I often say that I'm more nervous than our candidates. I don't think that's true, but I just, that's something that I always uh, believe is true. Uh, But um, it went quite well. We've had a couple of students that have said that they actually prefer sitting exams remotely because some of the anxiety that they feel kind of goes away. Because you know, you if you live in a big city, you have to factor in travel and what if something happens to um, you know to your car in the morning or public transport, etc. So um, overall, the the feedback that we've received has been positive
3: okay so that's so do you think uh post pandemic or post lockdown you guys are going to continue with the remote proctoring or maybe a hybrid model
0: um, i'm i think i, I think, I think it's definitely something that, that, that we would look to consider now going forward i, I think we've learned a lot from it uh, i i think once once the pandemic is over we've all got to take a step back and and have a look at where we are and what we've done but, but um i i do think yeah it, it might change um, for a lot of us in the industry how we, how we do things going forward
3: right
4: okay uh,
0: and i'm assuming andy that you're not going to continue with the the hotel based assessment so.
4: <laughs> no no but um, if i if i might just on the on demand exams that that we're certainly we're looking at we we don't do them right now but but for us um it's, it's not just about the technology. There There's other pieces that need to be put in place for the on-demand exams. And so, so we talk about five different, um, what we call building blocks for on-demand exams. The first one is exam structure. So we need, we need to look at our exam structure and maybe introduce new item types like task based simulations, for example, which will lend themselves to on-demand exams. But the second thing is, is item banks. We need to increase the size of our item banks. And that's, that's why we've gone to AIG Um, we need to look at uh, loft or some type of technology that will create the exams themselves Um, and we need to look at how all all, and and remote proctoring i should say that we you need remote proctoring or some tool that will help you deliver on-demand exams in a very convenient format and finally you need to figure out how all all your systems are going to fit together Um, so from registration through exam delivery through remote proctoring and how they all fit together Um, and, and so we're looking at all five of those areas before we get to where we think we can be on on demand exams.
3: Right. Well, I, I would definitely to do
4: that.
3: Sorry,
0: Robbie, do you want to? I was going to say, I, I think I would completely echo that. I, I think a lot of what we've done in the past six or seven months uh, has been forced upon us. Uh, and once we get over this, this um, situation, for a better word, uh, and we have the chance to, to look back at what we've done, I think we'll learn a lot of lessons. And, and it's exactly all about how, how we can piece everything together now to, to have a, a more robust and a more flexible platform going forward
3: yeah um so what, one of the things i was going to uh, just mention um off the back of your, your comment there andy about how to put all the tests together um i think uh one of the things which we've been working on um i think we released it a couple of years ago now but it, it was um, a version of the LOFT uh, test generator that you guys use at ICAS already, but it's one that already factors in um, item exposure. So every time it generates a new test form, it ensures that it automatically minimizes item exposure across the bank while still fulfilling the kind of uh, um, blueprint-based constraints and any psychometric targets that you have. And um, so it's very sophisticated stuff, and I would definitely encourage you to look into it if that's something you are considering at the moment. Okay, so we have another question that's ready to go. Uh, so, when do you, okay, this I think this is for me, guys, sorry. Uh, when do you expect uh, TBS to be released and will this link to your Word and Excel simulation? Um, okay, so the TBS is available now. Uh, it has to be configured on or off on the different instances. It's not a question type that we'd expect everybody to use, so it is an optional thing. So, if you are interested in the TBS, please just talk to your account manager at Surpass and we will sort that out. Um, how will it link to Word and Excel? Um, well, at I think, as Andy said, they are they generally used for slightly different purposes. Um, you can certainly have Word and Excel-based questions that sit alongside the TBS, Do have a combination of auto-marked and human-marked content. Um, so that you have both question types within an exam, but there's no direct linking in terms of, if you fill out the TBS, it will pre-populate an Excel spreadsheet or anything like that. So I don't, wasn't sure if uh, I've interpreted your question correctly. Please uh, do follow up in the comments, if not, and I'll try and clarify. So I think uh, at this point, we will um, just say, thank you very much. It has been a really fascinating discussion and very interesting uh, for me, both seeing the TBS and then hearing your, your thoughts and reactions to it. Um, so um, I think, with that said, uh, I will just say thank you very much to all my guests here today. Thank you to everybody who attended. Um, thank you to James and Ben and Tim who work behind the scenes to make all this look as slick as it can do. Uh, and we uh, wish you a happy Christmas and we'll see you at the next Pass Community event. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone.
1: Thank you.
0: thank you. Take care. Have a great Christmas. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. To keep up to date with the latest information from our Surpass community, visit Surpass.com. We'll be back with another podcast soon. Thank you for listening.